1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: We'll talk a little bit about the NBA with my next guest from the Action Network, Matt Moore, good enough to hop aboard with me here on CBS Sports Radio. Matt, Jody Mack here, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Good. Uh, have you ever frequented the Magic City Gentleman's Club in Atlanta?
1: No, I haven't had the pleasure of going there. I have heard a lot about it through the years. It's well known to be a popular spot. Uh, Not surprising that Lou Williams uh, decided to partake of the fine food and beverage there uh, while he was outside of the bubble. But obviously it has complications for what's going to go on inside the NBA campus.
0: And while I don't doubt they have fine food and beverages in the uh, Magic Club, um, it's just such a—he didn't really go there. That's just you funning and people on uh, social media funning, right? He didn't attempt to use that as an explanation, that he was just grabbing a bite when he went into this gentleman's club. Did he?
1: Uh, I believe so. I believe that's the answer, is that he stopped for a quick bite to eat after a wake was what— yeah he suggested was that just the chicken wings were were really good and everyone's been there and tends to agree that the food there is really good i mean like uh the, the server the picture services earlier this week and like a lot of things that happened they, didn't, they weren't substantiated and so they kind of were under the radar and then confirmed today by ESPN that the league was was investigating it um the stuff's a problem i mean it's just it's a problem and and it's understandable for guys that have personal you know, personal and stuff that they've got to go to and they have to attend. They have lives, for sure. But the casualness of not realizing the complications of some of this for what happens when they're trying to get back in for their teams, I think is a little problematic.
0: Understood. And as as I said to a, a caller earlier, he when I brought it up, he said, come on, Jody, nobody cares. I said, I'll give you one group who cares. That's every other NBA player who's living life in the bubble who aren't getting excused absences to be able to go home. And I don't doubt that he went to the funeral or the wake or whatever it was for uh, this person in his life. But then he decides he's got to get a great meal from the uh, gentleman's club in Atlanta while the other NBA players are all locked into the bubble down there. Uh, you think Lou Will's going to take a hard time when he gets back inside the bubble in good graces and out of
1: quarantine? Probably not, just given that the players as a a whole – it seems like there's basically two factions. About 20% of the players understand how serious this is and understand what's at stake and understand um, how important it is to maintain proper protocol. About 80% are like, I don't know, I mean, it's fine. And that's why we've had so many positive cases before they got in. I think that's why there's been such a casual attitude about some of the mistakes that have been made already. And the bubble is holding because the NBA's protocol is really good. But I don't think Lou Williams is going to be really held accountable based off of, you know, the percentages of, of how much players tend to give one another a pass. I also think that like this reflects on the big issue, which is, You know, everyone's like, well, why can't they go do this one thing? And it's like, it's not that one thing. It's what you do after you go to the one thing. If you go to the indoor wake, okay, sure, not great, probably a risk. But then afterwards, to go uh, to a club, uh, sorry, restaurant and and place of food and beverage. Um, If you you go there afterwards, now you've just doubled your risk exposure as well as exposing you know, other people to whatever it is that you, you, if you had picked it up there, there's just all these complications. It's not the one individual act. The NBA is like, hey, if you need to leave to go do this one thing, that's fine. It's everything else that's concerning and that increases the risk vector.
0: We're talking to Matt Moore from uh, the Action Network, talking to NBA with us here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, so if he's not going to pay the price with his fellow players. How harsh do you think the NBA is going to handle it? I think it's minimum four days in quarantine for anyone who leaves the bubble for any reason, and then the NBA determines how much more is necessary. He put himself at risk, which means he's putting
1: others at risk. How long do you think he's actually going to have to stay in quarantine? So it's not it's not usually like a punitive measure. It's based off of the health evaluation. So um, the minimum is four. If you test every single day negative and if the league looks at all of your behavior and is like, yeah, you didn't really do anything, this isn't a risk, we're not concerned about this. going got to bet Lou Williams doesn't fit that criteria, so I'm betting he's going to get the full 10. Um, 10 days is kind of the, the baseline for how long, but it can be longer. It can be as many as 14 days depending on if they discover, hey, did anybody, did anybody get sick at these events? Has there been any you know, issues? Like if, if it pops up in the news that Magic City had an outbreak or something, God forbid, right. uh, that's obviously going to impact things. So I think it'll probably be 10 days. They are able to be flexible with this stuff, though. That's one thing I've learned because I asked the NBA, like, hey, is it going to be 4 or 10? They're like, that's not the way to think about it. It's an evalu- These are guidelines. And then we have the, the experts – evaluate the behavior as far as what's appropriate timing to keep them in quarantine. But he's definitely, I think, going to be in there longer than four days.
0: All right. I've caught a couple of these scrimmages that have been taking place the last uh, few days before you have the actual play-in games to determine who's going to make the playoffs. I got to tell you, I was a little surprised. I thought it actually was pretty good basketball. I thought it was going to have a schoolyard sense to it. They hadn't been together. They'd gotten some practices in. But I thought it might be more open-ended, more like an all-star game than an NBA scrimmage. And it's not been. It's been good, decent, fundamental NBA basketball. Are the players ready to restart their year like uh, they don't even need these scrimmages and they'd be ready to go tomorrow if that were the case?
1: No, I, I think having the shorter scrimmages is good. You know it's a, that like the Lakers are playing guys only first half. Um, there's still a preseason field to a lot of this. And the other thing is, a lot of teams just aren't complete. They still have guys that are out. Like the Nuggets are still extremely short-handed, which is why they're rolling out four seven footers in their starting lineup. Um, you know they they need more time to get their guys back and reacquainted with for playing basketball together. So I think it's good that we've had this time period to get used to it. I think certainly some teams are ready to go, but the other thing, talking to some coaches, is they still have real concerns about uh, soft tissue injuries. They're just worried about going from zero to this is a lot. And so, you know, using the scrimmages to kind of gently ease guys back in and see what they're capable of. Um, several teams are doing that where they're like, okay, he's experiencing discomfort, let's real back off on him. Um, and that way they're they're, they're not going to have to be like, well, you're sore, sorry, got to go, because you know, they're in those eight-seeding games. This gives them a little bit more time. I, I think the basketball has been good. I think the environment has been good. I think it's okay to go ahead and finish out. We only have to get till Thursday anyway.
0: Now, if you bet on the scrimmages, yeah, I think you got a Jones-in problem. But that's just me. <laughs> uh, but the games that are going to be played, the eight games prior to the playoffs actually kicking in, everyone can find out who's on the roster. There are a whole bunch of teams that don't have their guys there and aren't getting their guys there that they've opted out or they're injured or they've decided not to play. Uh, And you're certainly going to put that into your handicapping when you're trying to pick winners. How do you handicap what the motivation is for the team? Because some teams already know they're in the playoffs. Some teams are pretty locked into the seating. They're going to get seating isn't as important as it usually is because there's no real home court advantage. How do you look at these? eight-game return games from a wagering standpoint?
1: So the bookmakers, I actually asked about this, and the bookmakers feel that they don't need to worry about it. They're like, these guys are professionals and they're going to compete. We don't really have a a concern about that. Um, The other thing that I think is notable is these things shift. So there was a thought around the league that Portland might be a team that just might be like, you know what, it just isn't our year. Everything's been rough, this has been bad. Damon said he didn't want to go down there if they didn't really have a chance to compete. It seemed like the, the Blazers' whole mojo was going to be a little bit questionable. But it turns out, like, all the word is that they're, they're really loving playing together, and they feel really re-energized by having Nurkic and Zach Collins back and feel like they can make a run. I think conversely, you know, I think some teams were like, hey, maybe we can really make some noise, and then too many guys are missing, and now it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, I mean, there's just really no reason for the Wizards and all like the Nets for them to be there. But that changes and flexes, and a lot of this is, you know, <laughs> everyone can be down or up, but depending on what happens in the first two games, that may radically change. I think that's part of the thing is if you're in a losing environment inside the bubble, it's going kind to of really grate on you. Versus if you're in a winning environment, not only is that always a good situation, but you might be able to be like, hey, we can really get something done here. Like, it's a weird circumstance. We're all together. The chemistry is good. I think the, the highs and lows will be very extreme during this whole thing.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The Nets are locked into the playoffs as is they're not going to do anything when they get there, but the only team that can catch them is Washington, and they're as bad off as the Nets. Nets are going to make the playoffs even though they got a chance to go 0-8 in the games that they're playing, right?
1: Well, uh, I mean, the Wizards only got to get within four games, and that's definitely possible, especially considering the Nets play the Wizards twice. So if magically the, Nets, the Wizards are able to figure out, you know, an NBA rotation at some point, um, they could definitely, I think, take two, and it's very possible the Nets do have a really awful run. And if that happens, I think it's at least at uh, in the air. I think the big thing here is just those teams. The two teams are so bad that it's entirely possible that either one of them could make it. Certainly, the Wizards face a tougher challenge in terms of trying to get enough wins just to get into the play-in. But I'm not willing to take it off the table because Brooklyn's roster is that rough anyway. <laughs>
0: That's true. They're both pretty rough. Matt Moore uh, from the Action Network talking NBA with us here on CBS Sports Radio. Um, Matt, I've seen a bunch of pieces on uh, ESPN, TNT, all the uh, networks that are carrying the return of the NBA. And a whole bunch of players have said that they're not going to take advantage of the NBA's offer for them to put a social justice message on the back of their uniform. LeBron was the first one to say it but many others have followed suit. Um, Did the NBA not give them enough choice? Was this a good idea that just didn't have a chance to work? Was it mishandled at all? Because uh, it became such a big deal and was so talked about when you see players out there and they're not going to have messages on their uh, back of their uniforms. I think it's going to be bad optics. Uh, why is this that so many players have decided to not go down this road? Uh,
1: I think it's a personal decision. I think it's something the league offered as a as a mechanism, but I don't think it's also everyone's going to have their own idea of what the platform should be. Um, for instance, today in the, in the WNBA opener between the Seattle Storm and New York Liberty, all the players had uh, Breonna Taylor's name on their backs of their jerseys, um, and they left during the national anthem. Like those are powerful collective, united statements, I think. I think um, Will Barton had some great comments in which he said, look, if you think that putting the name on the back of our jerseys or talking to the media is going to change anything, you're fooling yourself. And I think that reflects the attitude of the players, which is it's going to take serious change, and it's going to take serious money backing that change um, and actually actionable efforts and not just public relations stuff. Like, it's going to take more than that in order to accomplish what the players feel needs to happen in pursuit of social justice and then place brutality. So I think these things are very, uh, very much, it comes from a place of, I think, resignment to how things are and disillusionment to all of the things in which corporate entities like the NDA, not necessarily their fault, but in which corporate entities try and co-op these messages. I think the players are looking for more authentic means of really, illustrating the importance of these issues.
0: Fair enough. All right, uh, just a couple of quickies. I'll let you go Uh, from the also-ran column. Number one, what happened to the non-Disney bubble that they were going to try and create in Chicago, I think it was, for the eight teams that weren't invited to the restart party? Uh, I thought it was ridiculous when I heard about it. I'm judging by the silence on it that... The NBA is hoping we all forgot about it. What's the latest you've heard about the teams who aren't participating in the bubble?
1: The latest I've heard is that there's still conversations that are ongoing. I think one of the challenges that I've heard is a problem is just that not all the teams are on board because, you know, a lot of the teams are like, well, we want to get our young guys out there and see what they can do and, you know, work on some summer league stuff and those kind of things. But some of that's also. Why are you going to do that before the draft? Like, a lot of it is to work out, you know, rookies and stuff like that. And you don't want to do two of those. Like, you don't want to do two the bubble and then a summer league um, inside of four months. That's not something I think anybody's interested in during this environment. I think also, um, you know, there's teams like the Warriors. It's just like, why? Like, why would we do this? Um, and even if their players sit out and you bring, you know, kind of camp invites, et cetera, there, it's just a matter of what is the overall like it's a cost benefit analysis, I think, is part of why that there's a little bit of hesitation there. I don't think it's off the table. I just think it's still being evaluated for, honestly, how the country continues to respond to the pandemic, which obviously is not at a peak point right now.
0: All right. And the last question I want to ask again about a non bubble team would be the Knicks. I uh, don't think it's 100% official, but a lot of places reporting that it's all but finalized a deal for their new head coach, uh, Tom Thibodeau, who's been around the NBA, former Nick assistant, as a matter of fact, uh, has won in a couple places but it's worn out his welcome in those same places where he'd coached previously. He's got a reputation of being a taskmaster and a guy who can really motivate some players and really annoy others. Is Tibbs' axe going to work in Madison
1: Square Garden? I think to a certain degree. I think the, the big problem with Tibbs is honestly that Tibbs. is. It, it's a short-term solution. It he establishes a sense of, of professionalism. Like the team will look more like an actual NBA team, which is a step up for the Knicks. Like that's a, a that's progress for them to actually look like a professional basketball team, uh, and they'll probably win at a higher rate because he he does put enough into the regular season to generate enough push to get that done. But the problem is long-term is that like he wears on superstars. The systems are antiquated. He has trouble in the playoffs. Um, he has problems with connecting things. His defensive schemes are a little outdated at this point, even though he's open to new ideas. Like He hasn't reinvented himself, and that's a real problem, especially in an age where players are more concerned about elongating their careers and not overplaying more than anything. Uh, that's a hard sell. Maybe he'll work with the young guys, but I, I would worry about R.J. Barrett. I would worry about his health long term. I would worry about whoever the Knicks draft. Like There's just been a lot of evidence that guys that, that Tibbs tends to lean towards wind up having a lot of, of health issues after they turn 30, and you want these guys to have long careers. So in the short term, a good move. I just don't know if it's the right one for the long term.
0: Great stuff, Matt. Appreciate you hopping on board. Uh, even if you're not bubble bound, I know you'll be uh, writing and contributing and uh, keeping that TV on basically 24 hours a day because they got a whole bunch of games to get into in a short period of time. Enjoy. Thanks for sharing with us tonight. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. Stay safe. My pleasure. Matt Moore from uh, the Action Network here with us on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, picture
1: this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe.